Joshua 5, so if you don't mind turning with me there to Joshua 5, and we will uh, look at all 15 verses, and uh, I won't ask you to stand for that. We'll, we'll remain seated, and, and I'll read that. But to set, the, to set the stage, so to speak, can you imagine uh, 40 years? You know, Brother Ray uh, mentioned that to Tim, and that was kind of funny. I, I mentioned that in first service. He, he could have been Moses it, it, and the people, but he's been here for 40 years but can you imagine, and Psalm 90 speaks to this. Uh, Moses, uh, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, penned Psalm 90. And it, it was just, it talked about that, that stage. Am I right, Brother Ray? As far as like wandering. And it, it dawned on me, Bradley, when you said that, because I've never really thought about this much, but Moses, for those 40 years, didn't just put up with a group of people that were disobedient at the beginning of the journey. He loved them, so much so that he interceded on their behalf quite passionately to God. But it, it dawned on me, Bradley, as you, was, as you were singing and you guys were sharing with us, that he watched people pass away. And not just every now and then. But I, Pastor, I just thought it just, it just really hit me hard. Every day he watched somebody that he loved die. And, you know, he might have got a word that says, well, Uncle Joe passed away last night. Um, Aunt, Aunt, Aunt Thelma passed away last night. John down the way passed away last night. Every day for 40 years. Can you imagine as he led the people what they were experiencing? Would they ever come out of that grave? Now, certainly it was in... It was in God's judgment that he was letting this happen because of their disobedience and not trusting. And he was letting those consequences uh, take place. But I just entered into the mind of Moses just for a moment. When you mentioned Tim, Brother Ray, and, and as you saying, just what he experienced. And, you know, because, we'll, you know, he didn't say, oh, and this is the day you'll get out. But what he was going through emotionally and out of the grave it just made me think it is there. God, thank God, won the battle. Absolutely, it is ours. The victory is ours, says Scripture. You know, we, we're born again, we're regenerated, we're, we grow, we're sanctified, but we're, we're already glorified, we already have that. I mean, it hadn't taken place. My body has not been glorified, but it's mine. That's why we sing, My Home in Heaven. Now, I know this is not how I wanted to open up, but... Bradley, I believe when you prayed for me, God just said, said listen, just share it. And, and I just want to use that as a segue for this morning. It, we may be walking in a grave culturally. We may be thinking, America's gone, dead. Well, can, can I say, it's been dead a long time. Everything is dead apart from Christ. That's the wages of sin, by the way, is death. So the only way to have life, the only way to be delivered from that is to accept that, to profess Him, to repent and to come to faith by His grace in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the only life. And so with that this morning, I want you to read along with me. You stay seated. That'd be fine. Let's look at the 15 verses of Joshua chapter 5. Joshua 5, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard uh, Version, uh, CSB. Your version will probably read much like it. If not, it's on the screen. When all the Amorite kings across the Jordan to the west and all the Canaanite kings near the sea 
heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, they lost heart and their courage failed because of the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise Israelite men again. Now, we'll cover this, but what's going on here, all the men that had been circumcised had died. Moses had, had witnessed that, and Joshua. So those men had died. Now the Lord is saying, set, uh, circumcise these men, verse 3. So Joshua made flint lies and circumcised Israelite men at uh, Gebeth Harloth. This is the reason Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt were, who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness along the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out were circumcised, none of the people born in the wilderness along the way were circumcised after they had come out of Egypt. For the Israelites wandered in the wilderness 40 years until all the nation's men of war who came out of Egypt had died off because they did not obey the Lord. So the Lord vowed never to let them see the land he had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Joshua raised up their sons in their place, it was these he circumcised. They were still uncircumcised since they had not been circumcised along the way. After the entire nation had been circumcised, after the entire nation had been circumcised, they stayed where they were in the camp until they recovered. The Lord then said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. Therefore, that place is called Gilgal to this day. Now into the Passover. Verse 10, while the Israelites camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they kept the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month. The day after Passover, they ate unleavened bread. So they had been eating what all that time? Manna. So then they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain from the produce of the land. Verse 12, and the day after they ate from the produce of the land, the manna ceased. Since there was no more manna for the Israelites, they ate from the crops of the land of Canaan that year. And now to what we'll visit here in a moment, this crescendo of this fifth chapter. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed his face to the ground in worship and asked him, What does my Lord want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Father, it is in Jesus' name and only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we come to you asking, Father, to continue to speak to our hearts. Father, not just for the accumulation of knowledge or a song, but, Father, for the transformation and the application of your word into our lives to share with a world that so desperately needs that hope. I pray, Father, as I often do, God, would you mute anything and everything that has its origin within me, but, Father, amplify everything and anything that has its origin within the throne of grace. And may it be communicated in a way that is taught by your Holy Spirit. And again, Father, for the changing of our lives over and over and over. 
as you sanctify the called and believed and as you save those that may not know you yet. And we pray that will happen today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I recently read from a pastor who he was sharing the most exciting time he had ever had in his Christian life. It happened soon after Mikhail Gorbachev led the Soviet Union into an era called perestroika. And I'm pronouncing that right, aren't I? It's close enough anyway. And this was in Ukraine. The pastor participated in a baptismal service on the public beach. Now, only a few months earlier, that would have been unheard of, and it would have been illegal. Now, nearby them having this baptismal service on the beach, listening and watching, was a number of people who claimed to be atheistic and communistic. This experience was so unusual because 70 years it was illegal to openly practice Christianity in this country. And it, it, was, it, was, it was really committed to atheist materialism. But glasnost, that's the, having the open expression of very important view, and perestroika, the social restructuring, changed all that. Now this pastor, like we do here, had always believed and taught that a major purpose of baptism was to publicly proclaim the message of Christ, his death, and his resurrection, and the new life that we can have in Christ. But on this day, and we experienced this in the first service, on this day, this pastor was keenly aware of something else. He had the opportunity to worship God, not to just observe and maybe participate in what many in maybe the Western church have a, it's become ritualistic, this was a spirit-led remembrance. And so that is the title of today's message, Remembrances or Rituals. Where are we? We talked a couple weeks ago in, in main, the maintenance of memorials and, and the 12 stones that uh, the Lord told Joshua to take out of the Jordan and place at Gilgal. And we wonder, so why these public symbols? Why, why is this going on here? Why baptism or Lord's Supper that we, that we uh, observe? Why the circumcision? Why the Passover? It's, it, this is why. God knows how easily we forget. This is one reason why he instructed Joshua, like we just mentioned, to remove the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan and stack them up at Gilgal. They were to be a memorial to God's great power in bringing the nation of Israel into the promised land. They were to be a means of communicating to the children of Israel. And it's like, now listen, we did this for a reason. I want you, want you to remember that. It was a way to communicate to their children that God had dried up the waters of the Jordan just like he did the Red Sea. But God also had another purpose for the memorial stones. To enable Israel to demonstrate, as Scripture says in verse 24 of chapter 4, to all the peoples of the earth that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that Israel and all mankind may fear the Lord. Much like those atheists and communists that were watching this baptismal service in Ukraine on that beach, it was not only for that man that was being baptized there, it was not only for that group of believers that gathered, it was for the entire world to see. That was a profession of not only that man's faith, but a declaration of, of the pre-existence, the incarnation, the life, the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. When God commanded Joshua to remember his acts of love and grace with additional symbols, it was not something new in Israel's history. And we'll see as we talk further, God continued to provide remembrances for his children 
even in the New Testament, our memories are terribly short. And God knows that, and He's factored that in to His great plan. Now, God used the miracle of dividing the river of Jordan to authenticate Joshua as His leader. And the miracle also sent a message to non-believers. You, you look there in verse 1, it seems like this was, you know, when their hearts melted of all those people gathered around the Amorite kings and the Canaanite kings. And, and when their hearts melted, can you imagine what the leaders of the army were saying then? Hey, now's the time. Their hearts are melted. They're scared. And, they, you know, they, they're not saying they ain't scared. They're scared. I mean to death. They are, they're melting away. They cannot stand it. They know it's over. Can you imagine saying, now's the time. We need to get after them now. It will, it's no better time than right now. We got them on the run. Let's go. But God and because God speaking to Joshua knew that the spiritual, spiritual condition of the Israelites was more important than a temporary military advantage. Now take that and let it marinate at home this afternoon with this thought in mind. When something seems like it's perfect timing, but yet you have something in the back of your head or something in your heart, we call it a check in your spirit, or maybe you just, there's something keeping you from pulling the trigger. It's then you need to understand and remind yourself that it's better to have God's anointing and His timing than what seems like good timing. Sometimes God will put the brakes on and we not understand why. I've often, in the past 11 years since I've been on staff, and even before that I've heard our pastor say many times, he, he's, he's been very methodical in waiting to do this because he, he felt like, okay, it's good, but he just didn't have the green light. I think you've said several times. This was, not a, this was not a green light situation. It was not even a yellow light. It was red light. God said, there's something else to do. And that brings me to my first point. And there's so many in here that, that I, just, I just got three maybe insights from Scripture. And there's so many more. And I pray you, you, you dig in and find them on your own. But for our purposes this morning, here's the first one. How do we discover, how do we experience in God in moving from rituals to remembrances? And I think the first step is consecration. Verses 2 through 9, here uh, Joshua is, is leading the people in consecration. Now, what's that mean, Chuck? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's what consecration, according to Webster, means. The action of making or declaring something sacred. Now, what's that mean for us in, in chapter 5? Here's what it means specifically, I believe. It refers to persons or things being separated to or belonging to God. It's not just becoming set apart from something, from those 40 years of maybe putting things on hold and not being circumcised. This, this, this circumcision, this consecration is being set apart to something. You just don't say, well, I'm no longer doing that. Well, what are you doing now? Well, so many maybe in our churches today said, well, I'm not sure. I attend church. I go to connection group, and every now and then, well, okay, that's good. But you're, you're, you're consecrating from something to something. Joshua's military officers knew, maybe this is the perfect time, however, there was some unfinished spiritual business to this. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 17. We'll get a better understanding of what's going on here, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of expedite this as best we can. But Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 14. So turn there, if you would. You know, it's just a little bit over. To, go to your left. In the Bible, so Genesis 17, 9 through 14. And this is what God is telling Abraham 
the purpose of circumcision. God also said to Abraham, As for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. And here it is. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you is to be circumcised at eight days old. Every male born in your household and purchased from any foreigner and not your offspring, whether born in your household or purchased, he must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as a permanent covenant. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So why? Why circumcision? The first thing I think we need to remind ourselves of in this, in this consecration, when God is calling us, by the way, that's not something that I use every day. I, I, I jokingly said to the choir uh, this morning, that's not a word I use every day. You know, I'll get up and we have a routine in the house and try to, try to do some things around the house. We go get some coffee. We check on the dogs. We sit down and have quiet time. And I turn to Monica and say, Hun, now it's time for consecration. I, can, I just don't do that on a regular basis. It's not something we do. But it's important to understand what is going on here and for us to embrace that and to engage in it. So we must realize, first of all, that God's ways are not often our ways. Amen? God's ways are not often our ways. He does things that are sometimes difficult for our finite minds to grasp. Scripture in Isaiah chapter 55, Romans chapter 11, it has this precept at heart. Where our reasoning ends, his begins. Listen, I, I know I am a cookie-on-the-bottom-shelf kind of guy, but I'm good with that. I love low-hanging fruit. That's where I thrive. So to understand this, we don't need to just muddle ourselves in trying to say, yeah, my ways can be your ways. No, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And in that, we understand, okay, circumcision, trust the Lord, and let me learn about it. Secondly, on the other hand, though, most of the things, really, most of the things that God does and the demands he makes on his people, they make sense. Particularly if we stop for a moment, if we hit the pause button on our lives and listen to the Lord, it begins to, that epiphany takes place, that light bulb comes on. You say, okay, that makes sense now. Whenever God acts, he usually achieves more than one purpose with the same situation or event. For example, after this, I got this from a medical uh, a journal that I had read in preparation for this. So after about 4,000 years of, after God's command to Abraham regarding circumcision there in Genesis 17, medical science discovered, and this was in the early 60s that I'd read this journal from, medical, medical science discovered that wives of men who had not been circumcised have a greater incidence of cancer of the cervix than do wives of men who've been circumcised. And you're saying, well, what's this got to do with Joshua 5? Stand by, we'll get there. This is particularly true in primitive cultures where personal cleanliness is an environmental problem. Putting it plainly, quote, and simply, circumcision promotes personal hygiene and helps eliminate virulent bacteria. So they go on to say, in God's scheme, as a believer, by the way, he said, in God's scheme of things, then, circumcision not only had spiritual significance, which it does, and we'll talk about that, but helpful benefits. Part of his promise to Abraham 
was a seed. Multitudes of children and grandchildren for generations to come. With this promise, with this multiplication, God also selected the right of circumcision as a means of personal protection from one of the most serious causes of death, and that was cancer. It's interesting to even with all of our knowledge, even today in 2021, we have not to this day discovered a satisfactory cure for a deadly disease called cancer. However, God, thousands of years ago, gave the prescription of how to avoid it, at least in this scenario. But more than that, well, we got to just a second. I want, just look about the eighth day. He specifically said on the eighth day. And when I got the, researching that, do you know that it's, it's on the eighth day and after that a newborn child has developed a 110% of their blood clotting abilities? In other words, they, they're past that threshold of dangerous bleeding. And I'm saying, well, you know, how'd they know that? Who created them in the first place? God knew that. God knows that. And so his prescriptions, listen, his prescriptions are always perfect. And so to follow that, now we live in a, a fallen world, I get that. But what God says, you can take to the bank. And so he's saying, do it on the eighth day. Don't do it on the seventh, and don't wait till the tenth. Do it then. I said, okay, that's what we'll do. It's going to work out best. So there again, it's just a very practical thing. But here's the spiritual importance of it. All the Israelite men who were coming out of Egypt had been circumcised, but all those born in the desert had not. The token of covenant seems to have been suspended while a whole generation of Israelites without, listen, Without fearless faith died in the wilderness. Do you know what will be the result of fearful living? Death. It will be death. If not, if not physical, it will be spiritual. You, it, when we retreat in fear, the, the things God calls us to may die on the vine. If we, if we don't press forward in fear, I'm not saying haphazard, I'm not saying dangerous, but I'm saying fearful living has been... Has been being led by the Lord, when we do that, when we endeavor to have fearless faith, that is when the life comes through and we are obedient to sharing the gospel. So without faith, circumcision meant nothing. The same is true today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Just jot that down somewhere. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, can you imagine the amount of faith it took to temporarily incapacitate an entire army? But that's what Joshua was doing. He was following the Lord's command. He knew God's ways were higher than his. But he also knew for us to go forth toward Jericho, we've got to get things in order. We just can't say, go, God, would you bless the decision we've made? That's a mistake because they've made a decision without going to God first. So Joshua knows this truth. God then says to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. The reproach of Egypt is the accusation that originated with the Egyptians. It's quoted in Exodus chapter 32, and then again Moses quotes it in Numbers 14, 16. Here's what Moses quoted as far as like the Egyptians scoffing at the children of Israel. Since the Lord wasn't able to bring this people into the land he swore to give them, he is going to slaughter them in the wilderness. 
Now they are safe in the promised land. So even their scoffers, even the naysayers, those that say it loudest, they were being put mute in that. So to experience God, to move from ritual to remembrance, the first step is consecration, to be set apart to. Secondly, commemoration preceded by examination. Commemoration preceded by examination. Look at verses 10 through 12. So while the Israelites camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they kept the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month. So they celebrate this Passover on this same day. Only circumcised males could partake of the Passover. And from what I've, I know from Scripture, and I try to be careful with it, the Passover had only been observed two other times prior to this. In Exodus chapter 12, on that evening, before they were getting ready to leave Egypt, and then again on Mount Sinai in Numbers 9, 1 through 5. Like circumcision, the Passover had also been suspended during the wilderness wanderings because the Israelites lacked faith. Just a little, little takeaway. When our faith wanes, whether we really believe to or not, things get suspended in our lives by the workings of God. God can do it, but if we, we put the suspension on. If we, if we are guilty of fearful faith and fearful living, things get suspended in our lives. Exodus chapter 12, verse 24. Keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. God intended the Passover to be observed as a lasting rite or memorial of His divine deliverance. Now listen. On the night before Christ was crucified... He observed Passover with his disciples in Jerusalem. During the meal, the Lord Jesus took the bread and gave thanks, and he gave it to his disciples. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, the latter part, it said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Not as a ritual, but do this in remembrance of me. So in the same way the Lord took the cup, and he prayed over it and said, This cup that poured out for you is a new covenant in my body. So this is happening. The Lord's Supper is really a fulfillment of what Passover pictured, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins so we might forever be free from the slavery of sin. Now quickly, the prerequisite for participating in Passover was circumcision. The prerequisite for participating in the Lord's Supper is knowing the Lord Christ Jesus as your Savior and publicly professing Him by baptism. Look what 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight 28 says. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. We should, church, we should examine ourselves to see if we have followed God's command completely. Joshua precisely followed God's instruction for crossing the river, erecting memorial stones, circumcising the men, and reinstating Passover. The requirements for experiencing God, moving from rituals to remembrances, the requirements for experiencing God never change. Why? Because God never changed. He is immutable. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. But God is immutable. He has never changed, nor ever will. Just say amen in your heart for that one. Just, just take that and just write it down somewhere. God never changes on that. So Jesus says, whoever obeys his commands is the one who loves him. John 14, 21. Then listen to what the Lord says in John 14, 21, the latter part. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. 
I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. We can only experience in God, listen church, we can only experience God in the context of our obedience to the commands in his word. This means obeying God's commands regarding baptism, the Lord's Supper, tithing, thought life, home life, business life, church life, every other area of life. It means we are to obey him in all things. So the day after Passover, the Israelites eat the harvest of the land. Next day, the manna stops. So they are, they are experiencing God in new ways. You know, our pastor ends almost every letter he sends to you. What? God is always trying to take you someplace new. So the children of Israel here, by consecrating themselves, by, yes, commemoration, but preceded by examination, they are moving from rituals to remembrances and it's making a difference in their lives because new things are happening. And then finally, the crescendo of this part of Joshua. Desire for divine communication. Verses 13 through 15. Desire for divine communication. Let's read that together. Look there as we come to a close here in the next few minutes. When Joshua was near Jericho. Look this way just for a moment. So they had come across the river. It was dry ground. The water was piled up. The, this miracle that was taking place, they took 12 stones, took them to Gilgal. He took 12 other stones, put them there in the middle of, of the Jordan because I think he was spontaneously worshiping. And they had circumcision Passover. All these things were going well. But then he happened to look at the objective. Jericho. Fortified walls surrounding the city. They had arrows, slings, maybe some spears. They didn't have any catapults. They didn't have any man lifts. They didn't have any uh, cherry pickers. They didn't have a way to get over the wall. So he's there, and can you imagine? He's the leader. So he's in this, this state of contemplation. Look what it says. He was near Jericho. He looked up. This may be reading too much into it, but it just just spoke to my heart. I'm thinking he is in deep meditation asking, God, I need you. Would you speak to me? I need divine communication. So he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Now, being the leader, he says, "I I I need to find out. So I need to do something. So he approached the man and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. And I, I mentioned in first service, I have a note in, in one of my older Bibles when Adrian Rogers was preaching for this years ago. I was listening to it. He, at that moment, he said something that I want to say to you in just a moment because do, as we identify this man, okay, so we're identifying this man. He's neither for them or against them. This man is the commander of the Lord's army. This is not an angel. It's not an archangel. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In theological terms, this is a theophany. This is an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in Old Testament. This is the Lord of hosts. The, the figure known as the angel or messenger of the Lord, whom we understand to be the pre-incarnate, the pre-Bethlehem Lord Christ himself. This commander is invincible. This commander extends to the edges of the universe in his, in his rule. Beyond him in the unseen realms are millions of angelic troops, the host of heaven ready to implement God's plan. This is who this commander is. 
Adrian Rogers said at that moment, and you'll see, Then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in worship. I have written in my margin, When this happened, when we come in contact with Christ, when he appears, when we know he speaks, you get as low as you can, as fast as you can, for as long as you can. That is response and worship to an almighty God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this, then Joshua bowed with his face to the ground in worship and asked him, what does my Lord want to say to his servant? And here's the command. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, why this command? I mean, it's just, again, to understand what's going on here. Why this command? So let's look off at, look at it just a bit more closely. Robert Morgan, who many of you know, who wrote Red Sea Rules and many other books, and he's been here twice to speak, and he has a book out that's been out for a couple of years. He wrote it, uh, well, he was writing it when his, when his wife passed away. She had uh, been battling um, MS for quite a while, and so she passed away, and he was writing this book on the Jordan Rules as kind of a companion to the Red Sea Rules. Dr. Morgan says this about our taking off your shoes. He says, When we are standing upright, the soles of our feet are the only parts of our body to touch the ground. Doctors tell us we have as many as 200,000 nerve endings in each sole. 200,000. Now, my feet are ticklish, so I, I get that. And I, I'm a tender-footed kind of guy. You, if you see me walking across gravel, I, it looks like I'm doing a clog dance. I just, I just have tender feet. I've always had on shoes. I don't, I don't know what it says about me, but that's just... I had curbs where I grew up. I didn't, wasn't out in the country. We had streets and everything. So 200,000 nerve endings in each soul. And the weight of our entire bodies rest on that. The nerves travel unusually fast from our feet to our brains. It's a neurological expressway. By taking off his shoes, his sandals, Joshua was actually touching ground supremely holy with nothing to get in the way of the experience. So here's the twofold thing again. It's out of obedience, yes. It's out of respect, absolutely. But it was in the experience of what's going on. Here's the takeaway from that. When God is calling us to something to consecrate ourselves, to call us to something. We should be about removing barriers and obstacles that keep us from experiencing His holiness. In other words, take off your shoes and let those 200,000 nerve endings of not only your feet, but your entire body experience the holiness of God. That is what God is, I think, wanting to teach me, and I want to share with you what He wants us to see. What a moment! Can you imagine? Joshua has come face to face with Yeshua. The commander of the Lord's host had a drawn sword. By the way, that's indicating that judgment was about to descend on the Canaanite tribes who had been stewing in their disobedience and wickedness for 400 years. And Joshua falls to his face. The ground within a circumference of the Lord's physical presence had become radioactive with righteousness and cauterized with holiness. Those grains of sand became as holy as a soul of heaven itself, as pure as the golden streets of the new Jerusalem. How better to experience it than directly with bare feet remove all barriers and obstacles? Who would want to miss that experience?
Not me. And I pray not you. So when Joshua removed his shoes, his entire 200 or so pounds, we've been told, sunk into that hot and holy earth. If the very ground is holy, you don't want anything between it and you. Just a few days ago, we were, I was in a place, and it was kind of cool in the morning, and, and I, it, there was a deck, and there was no splinters and no gravel, so I could walk barefoot on it. But I got to experience the coolness, just on you know, just feet and walk out in some grass or whatever, and just coolness. And I know you've been through the beach before when it's not just blazing hot and had the sand go between your toes, and a lot of you may say, that's just when I'm in my happy place, you know, sand between my toes. That's not happy to me. Sand is irritating to me. But anyway, we won't go there. I, I like grass and maybe, you know, cool water or whatever. But just can you remember doing that maybe as a child running in, in, in grass and, and it not having any briars or stickers or anything like that or fire ants or just maybe in the sand or you stick your feet in something just really soothes you and you feel relaxed? Multiply that 10,000 by 10,000 by 10,000 times when we remove any obstacles pictured as shoes, and experience God's holiness. Well, we know the parallels between Moses and Joshua, and it happened at the burning bush, and it happened at the Jordan River, but I guess the question this morning, is it happening to you? Do you feel God calling you because you know that you've been in the presence of Christ in your daily devotion, your corporate worship, your private time, is God calling you to identify things, and you need to consecrate. You need to set yourself apart to something, to holiness. You need to commemorate, but you also need to examine your life. And then every day, listen, church, my brothers and sisters, for those that are watching online, for those that may not know the Lord yet, listen, every moment of every day, we should endeavor to absolutely seek the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and go after divine communication. Before a friend, even before a spouse, before a minister, before go to God. And he says he was faithful to direct us in our ways. Who, who, you don't have to raise your hand, but who beside me is confused of all what's going on in our world today? Some, I don't know who to believe in some things. And it goes back to, Pastor and I talked about this as far as like a Southern Baptist Convention thing. You just, who's telling what? You just, you know, they both sound good. Go to the Lord. Seek divine communication. Consecration, commemoration, examination, and divine communication. Do that all under the first thing that you do is repent of your sins. Profess Christ as your Savior. Come to that saving knowledge of faith only because of grace. Publicly profess that through baptism. Participate in Lord's Supper, clean and appropriate. All those things is what God, I believe, is calling us to as a church. Pray with me, if you would, as we enter a time into our, our invitation. This is what it is when Brother Ray preaches or Bob or James or myself, and we want to... Not because I've said it, but, but the Lord, He has promised His word does not return void. Now, I'm not saying I'm begging you to come down, but I do know this. God speaks through music and through His word. And He uses 
by His grace, instruments like myself or Bob or Brother Ray or whomever, James, and it's, it's, that amazes me. But here's the truth of it. When God speaks, it does not just stay there. It returns, not void. It returns fruitful in a productive, God-honoring way. So here's the question. What is God speaking to your heart today? You may be here and say, you know what, Chuck? I, I do need to consecrate. There's some things in my life I need to set apart from, and I need to set myself towards. If that's you today, this altar is open. Brother Ray will be here in just a moment to receive anybody. If you want to talk to anybody, I'll be down front as well. Bob will be here. God may be calling you. God may be calling a group of you. Say, you know what? I need to consecrate myself. Then, is there someone here today that does not know? Say, well, that sounds good, Chuck, but I, I've never had that first relationship. Can I tell you, today is the day. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Today is the day. If you're in here this morning and you do not know for certain if you would go to heaven when you die, in other words, you do not, you've, you've never really had a relationship with Christ. And listen, today is the day. Just say, I'm, okay, that's it. I, I need to find out more about it. There would be nothing more rewarding in our lives to share with you how to do that. So if you're here this morning and you said, you know, I'm, I'm not a Christian, but I want to be. Please. Please do not leave this room without speaking to one of us. We would absolutely love the honor to share with you how to become a believer in Christ. And if you may not have a church home, this is a... Listen, I've already told you, I'm a church nerd. I'm a Ridgecrest church nerd. Come see us, talk to us about how to become a member of this body of believers. All right? So in Jesus' name, Father, we ask that as your word has been shared through music and through speaking, and Father, as you've gone before us in this place, I pray now that you move in our hearts and that we would respond in obedience to what you're calling us to do. We pray that in Jesus' name. Stand with me as you respond as God calls you.